Welcome, my name is Xenophomova Dimitris. I'm a professor in biomedical informatics and data science here at Yale. This video is one of the many supplementary videos recording for a new certificate program in medical software and medical AI. We're happy to be joined by Dr. Kiva Loyan from the Netherlands, who I got to know through her work on AI for radiology. This is a great blog that describes what goes on in the AI market in radiology and about new products as they come in and reviews their status. She's also consulted on Romeo Health, where she helps with AI procurement and implementation. So Kiki, welcome. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and then we'll get started. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Um, so thank you for the introduction as well. So my background is uh, technical medicine, which is a degree which is in from the Netherlands specifically, which is kind of in between being a biomedical engineer and a doctor, but you're neither. <laughs> um, but what it really helps into is really bridging that gap uh, between the technology and bringing that into clinical practice in the hospital, um, as we have also a lot of like internships in the hospital, shadowing doctors and really understanding that world as well, as well as programming. So also in that role, I got introduced to machine learning um, and I thought it was great and I, I wanted to learn it myself. So I taught myself uh, Python and I wanted to become a data scientist in healthcare to bring models to clinical practice. Um, but because I was already working in those hospitals as well, I also saw that what I was making on my laptop was very difficult to just transfer to that doctor. Uh, and there was so much more that needed to be done to really get a product that can make clinical impact. Um, so I moved more to the translational field. And I believe now that technology can, can do a lot of stuff in healthcare, um, but now how do we get it there and really contribute to, to healthcare? Um, so that's also uh, or, yeah, why I'm doing the things that I'm doing today, um, hoping to really contribute to bringing that value to clinical practice. Okay, so let's get started here. You've done a lot of work serving AI in radiology over the past few years. So tell us a little bit about that work first, and then we'll ask you to sort of tell us what the state of the market is now. I mean, even yeah. in the few years that you've been working on it, I'm sure you've seen big changes as well. So let's talk a little bit about yeah. that. So I, I done a PhD in the Netherlands on commercial AI solutions for radiology. We see radiology was really at the forefront of uh, using this technology um, because it appeared with medical images, deep learning had of course a very big effect. It was able to really do stuff that it wasn't, algorithms weren't able to do before. Um, so around 2017, 18, a lot of companies popped up um, developing products, but it was also a bit of the wild west because nobody really knew whether these products were still research and development and very pretty marketing pages or whether uh, they were actually tools that you could buy and clinically use. Um, so what part was part of my PhD was first really actually just trying to understand that landscape. What is out there and which products can you now buy? And because the field was evolving so quickly, we decided to not just write an academic paper about it, but really build a website on it. So with my little bit of data science expertise, I was able to program the websites. I'm not a software engineer, so <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I hope others will help me soon with that to, to really improve it. But uh, the idea was like, can we make this information transparently available um, for our global audience and keep it up to date because it was moving so quickly. So we started with 100 AI solutions uh, for which were CE marked. So our, our criteria was that the products needed to be CE marked to be on the list, which is the regulatory clearance for uh, Europe. Um, uh, but today we already are far over 200 products that are out there. So we're now three, four years ahead. Um, and a lot has uh, has changed in the meantime. 
<laughs> yeah, for those of you listening for the first time, at the medical image field, 2015, 2016 is like year zero. It was the before deep learning era and the after deep learning era. And about 2016 on, like the field changed overnight, it felt like. So let's talk a little bit about, so if we come to today, where is AI in radiology today? What does the market look like? What kind of adoption are we seeing? Is it being used? Is it a toy? Where are we? Of course, also with always with this new technology, people are, you have a group of people that are scared that might not want it. You have people that are like, oh, I want to play around with this toy. Um, and in the end, uh, we are looking for solutions for healthcare problems. Um, so um, we still kind of see that, that today. So there are more, as I said, more than 200 products on the market in Europe. In uh, America, there is uh, for radiology around 500 already on the market. There's a bit of differentiation in how the FDA defines a product, how we define a product, so they're not directly comparable. We see about half of it being in overlap, so which is present in both their uh, territories. Um, so that, that's a lot. There's also a lot of duplicates, so it's not like they're all unique solutions. Uh, but what you do see is most of them, um, they, they uh, offer a solution for one thing. So for example, one AI that detects lung nodules. Uh, one AI that detects stroke, one that measures uh, certain bone lengths. Um, so they're really point niche solutions. Um, and as I said, there's also some overlap for some of the uh, applications. There's already 20 or 30 different products available that you can choose from. So you can imagine also the problem for healthcare professionals for this coming at them, like so many different choices, but also if they found out, like I want AI for this, then what to choose from uh, from all these competitors. Uh, it is not easy. Um, we do see some adoption of it already in clinical practice. It differs a lot per country. Uh, in the Netherlands, we've researched it for three years in a row um, to see who is using what AI solutions in clinical practice. Uh, so we gathered this AI network, we called it. So it was one radiologist per hospital center, um, hospital organization. So we had about 50 people in there. And we asked them each year, like, hey, what, what AI solutions are you now using? And also what things are you running into uh, when procuring and implementing these, uh, these products? And we know from 2022, the last round we did in spring was that already one third of the hospital organizations, at least in the Netherlands, is using AI in daily practice. So not just in research or trials, but really on a daily basis that it guides the diagnostic process um, in their clinics. When you said a third of these are using AI, can you give an example of how this is used? I mean, you mentioned line modules. So are these systems being used as a second reader, as a primary reader? What is the typical use case there? Yeah, so um, of course, when we yeah when we talk about AI, we can see uh, sometimes the discussion is about AI replacing radiologists. Uh, Jeffrey Hinton had a famous quote, or maybe I should say infamous quote <laughs> uh, in 2016 saying, uh, well, uh, we can just stop training radiologists because in five years time, AI is gonna be do way better than radiologists and we don't need them anymore. Um, well, that's not the case right now. So to my knowledge, there's only one, no, two AI solutions that say we can replace some of the work and that's our regulatory approved to do so. Um, but even those are not really used at this point like that very much. So currently it's really as an aid. So this can be a visual aid where you have, when you uh, do the diagnostic procedure, you see the medical images like an MR or CT and you get like annotated or bi bounding boxes or scores. 
um, or measurements uh, visually to help you do the process. But it can also be in form of alerts, for example. So scans are being analyzed in the background and uh, scans that need a very quick action, they might come higher up in the list, uh, in the work list, so they can get reviewed earlier. So there's really different modes of implementation um, for this uh, that, we, that we currently see. Um, in the Netherlands, we know that it's usually it's adopted mostly for lung nodule detection on CT images. So this is for, for cancer diagnostics. Uh, in stroke, so that's when uh, something happens in the brain, uh, like a, a blood clot. It gets de detected and we have to act very quickly. Um, and last, which we see actually the most in the Netherlands, is uh, for bone age prediction, which is a, uh, something they do for children. And they uh, need this big book that they need to look somewhere because there's only a few images a week and they go through the office to find this big book that they need to 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 assess this uh, bone age with and it's just a cumbersome process that they don't like so the adoption was quite easy there because it's uh um yeah something that that makes their their, their life easier yes so if we look at the adoption here what are the successes what are the failures here like are we seeing things that are succeeding Dramatically, I think that are where, you know, this thing is not going to move forward. Like, as people are looking, because of course, regulatory clearance is step one of many in this process, right? Oh. It can be regulatory clear and end up being useless in the real world. So what are we seeing frankly, in your experience here? Yeah, so of course, it has been a lot of experimenting until now as well. Uh, hospitals trying things out uh, because beforehand, yeah, it's new technology. It's something we haven't seen before. So um yeah, you don't always know yet beforehand. But I think if we look at the lessons learned so far, um, yeah, it has not appeared to be so easy to really make an impact. You can make an impact, but and bring value, positive impact uh, with these solutions on clinical practice has been quite easy, uh, quite difficult. So uh, we also so noticed some of the implementations are actually being halted. And I think that's for two, two main reasons. Um, the one is when the IT integration is not optimal. So when it doesn't really positively impact the workflow, um, so it's really an add-on, but it might make them actually slower, for example, or uh, results coming too late, uh, which makes them insecure, like, but I already signed up the report and now there's results coming in and legally, how do we handle this? So there's some sort of friction in the process um, that is not over so easy overcomable at, at this stage, maybe for this product. Um, and second is in the, also in this phase of the industry, a lot of uh, AI vendors, they're trying to get, of course, attraction in the markets. They want customers. And initially, this might be even customers that are not paying. Uh, so they offer free pilots, trials, like please use our product. And then hopefully after a year or half a year, uh, they start paying. But what is the consequence of this as well is that hospitals, they think, yes, we have something free to try out. Yes, we can play with it. We can get uh, some experience with AI which in general is great, but it can also mean that there's a lot of time and effort invested in implementing these products, which can really, like, it's not a plug and play usually. It can last, sometimes this whole process of getting a product there, it can last like half a year to a year. So there is actual time going in. Then they have it, they try it out. And then the real question comes when the bill comes in for an extension, it's like, but who's gonna pay for it? Um, and if the department doesn't see enough value in it in return of investment on this product, um, and the hospital is maybe not on board to cover that. There's no re reimbursement. Um, 
then sometimes the implementations get halted because it's like, yeah, we don't know how to pay for it. Um, so that's still a very difficult question for the whole industry is how do we how do we finance it? The, the costs might be in a different place than the benefits. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing any adoption of similar tools for other image-based areas like pathology, eye scans, outside of you know, the DICOM world of radiology, let's say? Yeah, of course, deep learning is, is just very good at analyzing images. Um, so radiology is definitely not the only department where we see developments. I think in optim in the, the, the eye disease world, ophthalmology was actually the first one to really be FDA cleared as autonomous AI with the diabetic uh, mm -hmm. retinopathy. That's a difficult English word. <laughs> um, yeah, where, where those images can really be standalone analyzed by the AI. Um, and in pathology, of course, where we have these huge images with all these cells um, made by the, the microscope, um, where pathologists go through this whole scan to, to annotate cells, uh, find, find disease. Uh, there is a lot of interest there as well. And the first companies and products are, are coming out right now. So this is indeed also a growing market. But we still see uh, also from the latest FDA updates, uh, the database where they list all the AI FDA cleared solutions. 80% is radiology still. So we do see in the other fields, uh, cardiology is I think the one behind that, um, that it's still, uh, yeah, really the, the, the majority of what's out there currently. And that's probably because radiology was digital for the last 30 years in a way that the rest of medicine is still catching up and I mean, yeah. getting data for the rest of the specialties is very hard. It's, still I think for pathologies, it's gonna be very interesting because they're going through that digital revolution now where instead of looking through the microscope on their samples, they're moving to looking at those images on the computer, um, where radiology is going to kind of two revolutions after each other with digitization and then the AI. Mm -hmm. I think in pathology, it will be one. They will almost be merged and looking for them, at, like what, what packs are we going to use to look those images at? What AI solutions can they offer? Integration can they offer? And um, I can imagine it's going to be a faster one there because of this combined effort. Yeah, it's the fast follower effect, right? The first defines it. The, the one thing that struck me as an aside here, I remember visiting, getting a demo from one of the major vendors of the big name imaging companies. And they were showing two things of the new AI. This is a few years ago. One was the new workstation that helped them analyze images faster. And the other was the new system that let them schedule their images. So more of a workflow thing. And to my great surprise shows you what I know, Every radiologist in the room just went for the workflow. Nobody went to see the imaging thing. That was what excited them. But that's the other application, right? This optimization of the order in which images are read. We think of AI as it will help us with diagnosis and looking at images, but sometimes the real application is, which images do I need to read today? Are, you, are there products in this space that you're familiar with? What's the state? Yeah, I think a lot of, so of course this was the, what they call the, the sexy AI, right? The diagnostic AI solving, uh, detecting diseases. This is what everybody jumped on when we, we saw deep learning had this impact on imaging. Um, but also now I think a lot of realize like, hey, what hospitals really want or those radiologists really want is being helped out indeed and being more efficient in their whole way of working. Um, so some companies actually pivoted to these to the new applications um, um, because they saw that need there as well. So for example, also what you have in radiology is they look at multiple images at the same time. So you have, for example, an MR image uh, but there's in one scan, there might be different series, they call them. So different views of the patient. 
Um, and everybody has kind of their own way of, I want this sequence there and then that sequence there and that image there. And they call them hanging protocols. And there's now also AI that can do that automatically for you when you open that patient. Okay, now it's all there at the place that you needed at. And that really saves time of clicking and dragging all those things in place before actually even doing the diagnostic work. Um, also in reporting, there's a lot of efforts. Um, can we automate some of the reports? So that's it's kind of double AI. Uh, one is detecting the finding, but then also translating that finding to an actual uh, written report in, in words, um, which is the, the, the translations of those findings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the challenge here, at least in the US, is that those reports go to the patient at the same time as they go to the doctor. So they need to be in readable language so that people can understand. Otherwise, you get confused by your own report. So another application for AI, right? Translating yeah. it to, to, to layman's language. No, no, this is a huge ongoing project, both here and elsewhere, as to how you create translation, not from English into French or Dutch, but from yeah, yeah. doctor speak to human speak in some ways. <laughs> Different language. It's a very different language. So as we get towards the end of this, what I mean, there are concerns obviously. The whole world is worried about AI, and you know, we're gonna mix. Where, where do you think are the breaking points right now? What what are the challenges in this process? We've had this very fast development of technology, at least on paper. There are a million papers a year that promise to have solved the problem, but what are the impact? What what are the breakpoints? What are the stoppages in adopting this technology? Like yeah, I, I, I think there's there's definitely still multiple challenges that can be overcome to make it easier to move in different levels. So from one one thing challenge to overcome is what you said, translating these millions of or, or hundreds of thousands of research papers into products. So what I started my story with as well, when I was creating those models myself, I was like, yeah, but what I have, I cannot use. Uh, because of regulatory requirements, because there needs to be software around it. Um, and I think here, um, the regulatory world is not really made for software at this point. We have in Europe, the new law, MDR, which was also partly created uh, because in the old law, there was nothing about software at all. Uh, it was not very applicable. Um, but then we have also these regulatory bodies like the FDA in the US, but also the notified bodies in Europe that are used to working with a lot of PDF documents, sending them around, stacks of book works, uh, but also in more auditing physical products that are static. Like once you bring them out, they stay the same. And of course, the, the, the best thing about software is that it is dynamic, you can iterate, and especially with AI, with new data coming in, you can change it. And I think the current regulatory processes we have uh, make it very difficult to make use of this um, special characteristic that we have in software, which makes it so, um, well, can be very impactful. So I think there, there is really um, uh, something that can be changed to, to facilitate that. And um, during my PhD, I came across this company. It was a very small startup at that point uh, called Scarlet. And um, they are now, actually they got designated very recently to really being a notified body in Europe. And they only focus on software and AI medical devices. And what they do in their procedures is also really focused on that. So they specify all their uh, methods for that and to also facilitate these iterations of updating more quickly and being reviewed more quickly um, to bring this 
to to clinical practice sooner. So I think they're uh, they are I think a great example of how they try to change that world. But I hope many more players will come around as well to to move that way because uh, I think now the waiting lines are huge and it can take sometimes one year to one and a half years with your notified body to get your product on the market and that's just uh, too long I think. Just as an aside for those who are listening in the United States, do you take 10 seconds to talk about what a notified body is? That's sort of a European special concept here. Yeah, so in, in the US, of course, you have the FDA who takes the oversight of the safety of medical devices and many other things, uh, but they assess whether uh, a medical device, which is also an AI solution for healthcare, whether that's um, safe to use uh, in clinical practice. And in Europe, we have a different system where uh, we have notified bodies and they are actually commercial parties. So where FDA is an governmental body in Europe, uh, the European Commission has a kind of um, uh, delegated that task to notified bodies and they audit uh, and over, yeah, have oversight over these medical devices. So you can compare them to the FDA in a way uh, for Europe. Anything else that you want to talk about as we come to the end of this? I mean, what are other yeah. concerns you have or where do you see the field moving as we come here? I think two other, or maybe one interesting development that we see, um, which you can also relate to in, in your maybe daily life is, um, I was talking about all these point solutions, like all these companies have this one AI that you have to implement and adopt. And then if you want another solution for something else, you have to go back to a different vendor uh, get new contracts, doing the integration with all your IT systems. And of course that takes is a lot of overhead. So um, that's one of the other concerns we have now with the difficulty of adopting AI, that it just takes a lot of time and effort to get it there. And there's some players that, well, noticed this and they said, okay, we're gonna be in between. So they're like, they're called also the AI platforms or marketplaces. And you can compare it to maybe also your app store from, from Google or from, from Apple that you have. And, and all these applications that integrate with the platform and you as a hospital um, have this, uh, only this have to hook up to this platform. So this is now a really ongoing development. There's, well, already almost 30 platforms out there as well. So it becomes a different choice and difficulty for the hospitals and what platform to choose. But um, hopefully that, that takes away a bit of the concerns as well of, of really adopting these um these different solutions. Um, and I also hope, because one other concern I have is how do we keep track of quality of all these AI when they're actually live? So we have this FDA to CE and um, you get it and then you can sell it. And of course there's ongoing procedures there that you have to comply to, but how do we really measure that? How do we really measure the impact of these solutions in clinical practice? Because once it's in the hospital, like there's, you cannot, send all the data back to the vendor because then you're with your privacy laws you have problems um but they they have the, the data in the hospitals to actually know whether the the predictions were good or right or wrong um so i think there is a place still where we can really see uh innovation happening is to bring this together so can we do continuous monitoring of these ai algorithms once they're in clinical practice to ensure their safety, uh, improve their quality, because there will be feedback then to the vendor to comply to the law, because the vendors have to do, actually do that. Uh, they have to check how it's working in, in, in real life and also demonstrate the impact to be able to also, yeah, arrange the financing. Because if you can show my patients are getting better, you might also be able to talk to either the hospital manager or your reimbursement organization to say, hey, maybe we can get to a deal here 
because I'm saving money in the long term. So I think having this data uh, from AI functioning in real life will be very helpful um, to really speed up this uh, adoption process. Yeah. Maybe we'll stop here. Thank you for joining us. And... Thank you very much.